Welcome to Making Footprints, Not Blueprints, a regular podcast about matters philosophical and religious. My name is Andrew James Brown, and despite being myself an atheistically inclined free thinker, I'm also the minister to the Unitarian Church in the city of Cambridge, UK. The title of this podcast is borrowed from the philosopher Herbert Fingeret, who, in his book, The Self in Transformation, offered us studies that were outcomes rather than realised objectives, which were offered to the reader as an encouragement to make intellectual footprints, not blueprints. This podcast tries to proceed in a similar fashion and takes seriously an insight of the poet A.R. Ammons, who felt that true human freedom only comes when we have understood that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely, and that, therefore, and thankfully, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. Welcome to this week's New Walk. Spring Meditation on Robert Frost's poem, Mending Wall. I begin this bonus episode by reading Frost's poem from 1914. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing, I have come after them and made repair, where they have left not one stone on stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time we find them there. I let my neighbour know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen to each. And some are loaves, and some so nearly balls, we have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. Oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more. He is all pine and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pints, I tell him. He only says, good fences make good neighbours. Spring is the mischief in me and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbours? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offence. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. I see him there, bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top, in each hand, 
like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only and the shade of trees. He will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well, he says again, good fences make good neighbours. In too many places today around the world, you'll find someone attempting to put up a border wall or fence. It's neither a pretty nor encouraging sight, and along with most people of liberal or progressive inclination, I'm inclined to look upon these constructs and immediately agree with Frost that something there is that doesn't love a wall. But the danger is that in such unsettled times... This feeling causes us to commit the sin of believing in binary opposites and to start seeing walls as simply either good or bad and becoming desirous of either only thoughtlessly and fearfully putting them up or thoughtlessly and fearlessly only pulling them down. We need a better, more nuanced approach to walls than this painfully simplistic one. We can begin helpfully to explore what this more nuanced approach might be like with the help of Frost's poem, in which he encourages us to think about the apparently counterintuitive idea that some walls might serve appropriately to connect rather than divide us. Frost starts his reflections where many of us today would start, namely with the aforementioned thought, intuitively held by many people of liberal persuasion, that something there is that doesn't love a wall. But who or what is this something? Frost begins his poem by suggesting that, at the very least, it is some kind of natural, impersonal, non-moral process, in this case the frozen ground swelling under the wall, which spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. Indeed, looking across human history over many millennia, it seems certain that, eventually, every wall we will ever make will be brought down by nature, simply doing what nature does. But we need to be aware that, having mentioned frozen ground, he might also be making a quiet pun, because, as his poem attests, there is something in him, a man called Frost, remember, that doesn't love a wall. Now, in suggesting this, if indeed he is suggesting this, he may gently be reminding himself that, whether he likes it or not, as Mr Frost, his own actions are an example of nature doing what nature does, as much as is the swelling action of the frozen, frosty ground. Whether or not this pun is being made, Frost quickly adds another something that doesn't love a wall. And in this case, it is something clearly human and therefore a something with an obvious ethical dimension. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. Here, the toppling of the wall is caused, not by an impersonal natural force, but by people who have no regard at all for the wall's purpose of keeping certain things apart. Instead, they, along with their dogs, have a completely different focus to that held by the upswelling frozen ground, 
or Mr. Frost and his neighbour, namely the rabbit. For those involved in the hunt, the wall has simply got in their way, and so down it must come. So within the first few lines, we already have three somethings that do not love a wall, and which, for various reasons, want to, or simply do, bring it down. We may presume there are other unmentioned somethings that do not love a wall and wish to bring it down. But, however, and by whomsoever it happened, the wall is now full of gaps. No one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring mending time we find them there. At this point, Frost begins to bring into view a further important layer of complexity, which seems to me to be central to the meaning of the whole poem, namely the role of human tradition, which, often silently and invisibly, is always shaping so much of our everyday life, including, of course, the putting up and pulling down of walls. In the case of the relationship between Frost and his neighbour, at springtime, tradition insists that it is now mending time. For Frost, mending the wall is simply what one does at this time of year, and so, dutiful to tradition, he lets his neighbour know beyond the hill. And on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. The next few lines of the poem are spent telling us something about how this was done and some of his thoughts and feelings about the difficulties of the task. We keep the wall between us as we go, to each the boulders that have fallen to each, and some are loaves and some so nearly balls. We have to use a spell to make them balance. Stay where you are until our backs are turned. We wear our fingers rough with handling them. It's a hard, tricky and skilled job. Sometimes, as you've just heard, even seeming to require the use of a magic spell. But for all that, Frost tells us he feels this is, oh, just another kind of outdoor game, one on a side. It comes to little more. There, where it is, we do not need the wall. He is all pine and I am apple orchard. My apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines, I tell him. Frost's humorous observation here is, at one practical level, clearly right. The careful repair of this particular wall does seem to be wholly unnecessary. What does it matter that it is full of gaps? It would surely suffice to let the wall slowly tumble down and let the fallen stones act as a simple marker of the boundary line between their two properties. But his neighbour won't have that, and he simply says to Frost, good fences make good neighbours, and carries on mending. Frost's initial internal, and therefore private, rejoinder is, he tells us, a mischievous one. Spring is the mischief in me, and I wonder if I could put a notion in his head. Why do they make good neighbours? Isn't it where there are cows? But here there are no cows. Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out, and to whom I was like to give offence. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. 
I could say elves to him, but it's not elves exactly, and I'd rather he said it for himself. In this section we can see that Frost firstly wonders whether it might be best to respond to his neighbour by raising the kind of rational questions which might somehow cause his neighbour to stop merely repeating his forefather's phrase that good fences make good neighbours and properly to consider the question of why do fences or walls make good neighbours? Such a method of rational questioning would surely help his neighbour to arrive at a aha moment when he, along with Frost, finally experiences that something that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. Then at last, this traditional activity, which is, after all, little more than an outdoor game, could finally come to an end. But the fact that Frost doesn't make this argument out loud suggests that he doesn't think such a rational evidence-based strategy would ever work with his neighbour. His neighbour, remember, is working fully and deeply out of tradition, and this wall-mending they are engaging in is simply what one does at this time of year. And so it doesn't matter that his own land is all pines and Frost is all orchards. In short, Frost's rationalist cow-related argument just won't work. It's wholly besides the point. This is perhaps why Frost then silently wonders whether a better strategy in getting his neighbour to stop the annual and apparently pointless and futile mending of their wall would be to invoke elves. Given that his neighbour continues to respond and act simply out of tradition which, remember, is always silently and invisibly shaping so much of our everyday living and thinking, perhaps blaming the wall's state of disrepair upon traditional, mythical, mischievous, invisible beings like elves that love to bring down walls, might be much better at bringing his neighbour to the realisation that this wall can be allowed slowly to tumble down. His neighbour might not be persuaded by rational arguments about pines, orchards and cows, but if he thought elves were involved, he might suddenly say, ''Ah, yeah, you're right. Since the elves clearly want this wall down, then I guess we'd better leave it alone.'' Perhaps, perhaps not. But at the very least, Frost's private thoughts about an ancient, traditional, mythic creature had, remember, whilst shifting ancient boulders, causes Frost suddenly to see something very ancient in his neighbour. I see him there, bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top, in each hand, like an old stone savage armed. He moves in darkness, as it seems to me, not of woods only and the shade of trees. Frost suddenly sees before him a living Stone Age man, moving not simply in the dark of woods and the shade of trees, but in the impenetrable ancient dark of human tradition, upon which the endless building and mending of this wall, and so many other things in our lives, is always already founded. We might be tempted to think that Frost is hereby suggesting that he is, by contrast, somehow fully in the light and free from tradition, not himself an old stone savage armed. But let's not forget it was Frost 
who let his neighbour know beyond the hill that it was spring mending time, and that he too is grasping the self-same stone to fix this wall. Despite his critical and inquiring demeanour, we are helped to see that at some deep primal level, Frost knows he is as implicated in the tradition as much as is his neighbour. To be sure, Frost, unlike his neighbour, is prepared to go into the dark behind his forebears saying and question the meaning and efficacy of the wall. But it is important to see that this questioning yields no simple answers. Certainly nothing that could definitively prove or disprove his neighbour's adage that good fences make good neighbours, or to prove or disprove the superiority of his own something there is that doesn't love a wall. And so the poem finishes inconclusively, with Frost stating that his neighbour will not go behind his father's saying, and he likes having thought of it so well he says again, Good fences make good neighbours. We may presume that they will continue until the job is done, and each year at spring mending time they will convene once again, brought inexorably together by something that simultaneously keeps them and their pine cones and apples apart. In his poem, Frost seems at the very least to be concerned to remind us that walls whether of dry stone, language culture, religion, tradition and philosophy, are always already both joining and separating people and things, and that there are no easy, wholly rational, evidence-based rules which govern which is to be which, at which moments in time, and in what places and contexts. Walls will always have complex, explicit and implicit uses and roles, perhaps useless at certain obviously practical levels, such as keeping pine cones and apples apart, but highly useful at a symbolic personal level, such as keeping these two otherwise distant neighbours in some kind of minimal, respectful relationship. Walls can add respect to oneself and the other, or they can destroy the same. They can be the causes of exclusion, or the opportunities for genuine welcome and hospitality. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Cahaleth, the preacher, once memorably said, Everything has a season and a time for every matter under the heavens, a time to fling stones and a time to gather stones in. Discerning when each of those times is present is always a nuanced, case-by-case, ad-hoc task. There are no easily learnt regular rules when it comes to the mending or destruction of walls. Because when it comes down to it, it is like learning to conjugate the most irregular of verbs. Every single instance plays out differently. For Frost, in that spring over a century ago, the right answer was found in continuing with his neighbour to mend their simultaneously useless and useful wall, even as he was forced to question everything about their activity. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Good fences make good neighbours. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. Good fences make good neighbours. Something there is that doesn't... 
And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path. Thank you.